Welcome to Sacred Intersections Podcast, where we navigate the twisty roads of harmful theology, mental health, and religious abuse. I'm Jill. I'm an ordained pastor in the Presbyterian Church USA. And I'm Paula, and I'm a licensed counselor and a counseling professor. So welcome to our fifth episode. Woohoo! Woohoo! Indeed. This one might get a little controversial. This one, not that the other ones have not been sure <laughs> been controversial, but before we get into that, we'll do a quick listener shout out. Not as long as we did last time, but a little, we have to recognize Singapore. The Singapore flag on our analytics page was very exciting to see. Welcome, Singapore. Welcome, Singapore. In our state update, in our quest to be in every state. We still haven't heard anything from New Jersey. New Jersey. We'll send you bagels. I mean, you are better equipped to send us bagels, but um, we are in 25 states and Washington, D.C. What's up, D.C.? So that is very (laughs) exciting. But we would really love to add New Jersey to the list, too. So if you know anyone in New Jersey who might be interested in our podcast, we'll keep them on our wish list until we get them. And then we'll move on to a new state. Definitely. And we are still looking for suggestions and thoughts and ideas for names for you, for our listeners and our community. Our uh, fellow travelers, FTs, is one of the suggestions out there. But if you have another one, um, maybe interact with us on social media and let us know. So what are we talking about today, Jill? Well, last week we had talked about doing an episode about both COVID-19, the pandemic, uh, that we're in, in the, the very end of 2020. Now we're in December of 2020. Uh, and also the phrase, your faith has made you well. And the more research that you and I did and the discussions that we had, we realized that there were multiple episodes that We were a little ambitious. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot to talk about with both of those things. So uh, I think tonight our focus is mainly going to be around this phrase that we hear Jesus say many times in the New Testament, your faith has made you well. And we will, that doesn't mean we're not going to, COVID still might enter this discussion, but next week we're going to be a focus on COVID. Yes. And kind of a continuation of many of the things we're talking about tonight, but we're not going to try to cram everything into one episode. Exactly. Yeah. And and it bears, uh, I think we've said this in other episodes, but I think it's important to say again that we are offering a perspective, uh, not the perspective, and that it's not super urgent for us, for you to agree with us all the time. In fact, we'd really love to hear and interact with you if you don't agree with us, that we just want to share our perspective. Yeah, we're not trying to make everyone think like us. We don't even think the same thing about everything. We're not trying to make people think like us. We just want people to think. And so if this is generating discussion, if you're hearing this and you kind of do a little head tilt and go, I don't know about that. Let me look that up. Let me see what I think. That's awesome. Like that's, that's what we want. Because we know that the things we're discussing are hard things. We're discussing them because they don't have easy answers. Right. So we want to be clear that's not what we're trying to do is provide easy answers to these really difficult things. We want to just reflect on them and give some perhaps other narratives or other perspectives and to have people think about them. So, so I, yeah, I think you're right that we've said that, but I'm glad that we made that clear. I'm sure that there's a sacred intersection metaphor about adding more cars on the road or a new voice on your GPS or something about... There's lots of routes you can take. 
yes. to get to the same place. And we're providing one and go. maybe two for the two of sure. us in the room. And we also want to give you plenty of room for your journey. Yes. So journey with us. And we're, we're glad that you're here. Yeah. We've said it before and we'll say it again. We really like you. <laughs> yes, we do. So this concept of your faith has made you well. I think ultimately what we're talking about is physical healing. Sure. And what that means and how that concept can perhaps get twisted. That's one of the main things we're looking at. So as our resident pastor, Jill, can you share like where this phrase comes from? I know this is something you're really passionate about. You've probably preached several sermons on this. And so so where does this phrase come from and what are the main biblical pieces that we're kind of pulling from tonight? Well, so I will say first, too, that this is the phrase that brought me to this idea of wanting to have a podcast. Is, is this, oh, this is why we're here. This particular topic of your faith has made you well. So so I'm not going to apologize, but I will warn you that there might be more than a few little soapbox moments um, because we we have a lot of passionate feelings about this. But um, this concept of your faith has made you well. I find in there are multiple places when these are the words that come from Jesus's mouth in the Gospels. And I do think that as followers of Jesus, we pay special attention to the words that come out of Jesus's mouth. Mm hmm. Uh, so the, there's three in particular that I think we can dig into a little bit. One is the story of a woman who was bleeding. Sometimes uh, that's called the woman with the issue of blood or the woman who was hemorrhaging. When Jesus was on his way to Jairus's house to heal Jairus's daughter, a woman stops and grabs the hem of his garment and Jesus feels power come out of him as the Gospels uh, report it. Um, this uh, I'm drawn to the version in the Gospel of Mark in chapter 5. And Jesus wants to know immediately what's going on. Where did this power come from? And the woman reveals herself. And Jesus rewards her and says, go, you are healed. Your faith has made you well. And interestingly enough, in the process of speaking to this woman, Jairus's daughter dies. And so Jesus goes on to Jairus's house and fixes his daughter and Jairus uh, is is upset before Jesus gets there, chides Jesus and says, if you had come, she would not have died, which we hear echoed in other stories like the story of Lazarus. And Jesus says, she's not dead. She's just sleeping. And Jairus's daughter wakes up and everything is hunky dory. Another place where we hear Jesus say your faith has made you well is in in Luke when Jesus we hear about Jesus healing 10 lepers and none of them give any sort of thanks or acknowledgement of their healing except for one who comes back, acknowledges his healing, and Jesus says your faith has made you well. What's interesting about that story is all of the other lepers are also well. It's not just the one who came back who remains well. They're all still well. So that's an interesting, interesting yeah. place. So those are the two places where we hear your faith has made you well. Those words come from Jesus's mouth. But I think a third one we hear about in the Gospel of John that has to do with physical healing and the concept of faith is when Jesus's disciples are talking with Jesus after Jesus heals a blind man and Jesus uh, heals the blind man and Jesus' disciples say to Jesus, who sinned to cause that man's blindness? That man 
or his parents. I might have jumped ahead a little bit because we'll get into talking about that more a little bit later. But um, Jesus comes back and says, oh, no, 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 no. That's not how that's not how this works. You don't you're not blind because you sinned or because your parents sin. And so Jesus right away goes to he nips that right in the bud. Uh, correct that theology. But yet somehow, I think culturally, we still hang on to this idea that if you are not well, it is because you do not have enough faith. Yeah. And I, I mean, it's easy to see just even me sitting, hearing you recount those three very specific examples from the Gospels. It's easy to see how that what I would call twisting happens, how people can hear that and really start to equate my physical health is completely correlated to my faith. Right. How I have more faith. I'm healthier. Yes. The concept first became really real to me when I heard a sermon about the healing of Jairus's daughter. And the preacher did a beautiful job talking about Jesus's power and the miraculous healing that took place that Jairus's daughter who should have been dead had, you know, gone into a coma or whatever scientific explanation we don't have, but then Jairus's daughter was healed and it was Jairus's faith and the great faith of all of those who were gathered around who knew to seek Jesus out to bring Jesus there. It was their faith in Jesus that made Jairus's daughter well again. And that preacher did a beautiful job highlighting that. But what about the people sitting in the pew whose daughter died? Yeah. How are they supposed to feel? And it was when that sort of realization came to me that there are people in our lives and in our congregations and in our in our circle of friends and our families even who are both the people who know and believe and have had that miraculous healing or know of that miraculous healing and there are people whose daughter still died yeah people of great faith whose daughter still died exactly and you know to to bring in the mental health piece around that you know what that can do to you emotionally to carry that shame and guilt and you know so not only are you dealing with this grief and this loss of these family members but you're wondering is this my fault because I didn't pray hard enough or I didn't seek Jesus enough in the right way and what did I not do or what did I do to cause this and that's normal in any loss especially loss of someone to death to look for someone to blame and a lot of times that blame becomes inwardly focused and we want and so this I'm just sitting here thinking this through in my mind right now this is almost a way to perhaps control it a little bit that that you know I've got to have some explanation for this great pain I'm feeling and that explanation might be I'm not good enough or I wasn't good enough or this was my fault yeah you and I, before we started recording this episode, were having some very, very deep conversations about, you know, the presence of evil in the world and why cancer exists and things like that. And uh, one of the things that I caught myself saying is like one of the Presbyterian party lines, which is it's a mystery. We don't know, which is so not helpful for people that are trying to like wade through grief and understanding And as humans right now, particularly in the age that we're living in, where there's a 24-hour news cycle and I can look up absolutely anything on the internet and make it happen, like, we decided we wanted to have a podcast and we have a podcast now. (laughs) Like, we read some articles on the internet and now, of course, we know everything there is to know about (laughs) it. But, like, 
yeah. this instant information. So the response, why is there cancer in the world? Why is there evil in the world? I don't know. It's a mystery. There's not a sense of control over that. There's yeah. not a sense of understanding. And even even where there are explanations, there's still not a fully complete explanation. Like my Baptist background and and the way I have always wrapped my brain around why bad things happen, not just to good people, but why bad things happen in general, is the concept of the fall. So if you are someone who's been around religion very long, probably have heard that concept or know it as, you know, the, the bite of the apple, whether you believe that happened literally or that symbolically, that God envisioned a world of complete community with him and like perhaps a world of puppies and rainbows <laughs> and, sure and that but he also another good baptist term that i still really cling to and believe in this idea of free will and that god didn't create robots like yes. he didn't want us he could have he could have created this group of people to just sit around and worship him and praise him and he's god you know that that's right. a choice that yeah. could have been made yeah but that we were given the choice to and, and that when when that choice happened that at that from that point on i don't think god goes around with a magic wand saying you have cancer and you have a broken leg and here's a heart attack over here but that that god stepped back and allowed this natural course of things to happen and that there are rules and principles of, of right. science and biology and yes. things that come in there exactly but that as much as we want to understand them and attribute fault and blame and that's a way of explaining things that things happen and sometimes they happen because of choices we make and sometimes they just happen and it's really hard to accept things that just happen yes i mean we're going down a deep rabbit hole i mean like there are not just like doctoral dissertations <laughs> written about trying to answer some of these questions there are there are degrees there are like entire fields of study that delve into why there is evil present in the world there's you know we could spin off into a whole yeah. other you episode. said this is not just a whole episode that's a whole nother podcast right concept to have so we're not yeah. so spoiler we're not going to answer the problem of evil <laughs> to if any of you have an answer for that please call Let us no um but there is this point of of recognizing how churches and faith leaders have been guilty sometimes intentionally, I think often not intentionally, of equating sickness with a lack of faith or with as a moral failing yes. or, you know, being less than. And we talked a lot about this in our church and the mental health as well. So that certainly happens with depression and things like that too. But that's that's more what we're talking about is how this concept gets twisted and that phrase of your faith has made you well right exactly and that it's a that your faith and your wellness how they are connected and the control you have over their connection your understanding of of their connection and their relation to one another your your physical wellness wholeness healing and your faith how do you measure yeah. your healing and your wholeness and your wellness? And how do you measure your faith? And even just like, what does well mean? Like we assume Preach. that in this, these passages that it, that Jesus was referring to the physical healing that he just did. I, I just think it's a bigger concept. Like my faith does make me well on a regular basis. It is my 
grounding and it is what drives my life and it is what gives me peace in the midst of a pandemic and everything else sure and it certainly makes me well so so as I'm just talking that's what I'm thinking is that that's that rings true for me right but not from a and and that's also not to say that God doesn't do miraculous healing still today exactly it just doesn't make the person who doesn't get healed less of a good Christian right and so how we measure our faith, faith is not uh, an, a complete absence of doubt. Faith is not that bumper sticker, God said it, the Bible recorded it, and I believe it, end of story. There's I don't a lot love, more to my story. <laughs> I don't love following the cars with that bumper sticker on, yeah. on them because it's a very narrow-minded, very closed-minded, rigid. rigid approach to a huge, a huge concept. And what I thought you were going to say with the bumper sticker, because this resonates with me, is that the opposite of faith is not doubt. It's control. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's having, it's feeling the need for control yes. rather than releasing or even accepting. Like that's what, as we thought about this episode, that word acceptance came up for me quite a bit. Sure. Um, in, the, in the concept of control, I think about the ways in which... The church with a big C in particular movements have worked to to control the concept of healing to control mm. and to control the concept of faith. And so we, you know, sort of snowball into this concept of Jesus as a password and healing and spiritual healing being weaponized as to you're either doing it right meaning you're doing it my way or you're doing it wrong. Mm-hmm. You're not what, you know, if, if you you're not rub your Jesus genie, you know, your right. Jesus bottle and have your Jesus genie pop out with the right prayer or the right whatever. You didn't do it my way. You didn't, the Jesus genie bottle didn't look like what mine does. So you're wrong. Well, so I, I'd like to talk a little bit about the word of faith movement um, and the faith healing, which is a movement that hits close to home. I, I worshiped in a church that was part of the Word of Faith movement for a period of time. Interesting. My spouse, my partner, has a deep connection to this in, in the way that he was raised. I'm not an unbiased view because I'll, I'll say very openly, I think that he struggles a lot with some of the things that that movement taught him. So the, the Word of Faith movement started as this sort of combination of two theories, sort of a new age, speak it and it will happen mentality with this concept of free will coming together. You have the will, the choice to speak it, and so it can make things happen. So like E.W. Kenyon is a big name and sort of the beginning of that movement and he's the theologian that spins us into thinking a lot about the televangelists like a lot of the big names of televangelists that I think of when I do a little bit of digging and research into them they are big in the word of faith movement so like you're Kenneth Copeland and Jesse Duplantis and Creflo Dollar and Kenneth Hagen and Richard Roberts that's Oral Roberts son and Benny Hinn this word of faith movement that says I'm, I'm going to read from a little bit of the research that I did. And can um, I just ask Jill and clarify, are those people who like they claim that title for themselves? 
Many of them do, yeah. Okay. Kenneth Copeland and Kenneth Hagen, I think, will call themselves word of faith healers. I'm not as fam- – those are two that I'm I'm more familiar with. I think Benny Hinn as well. And if you're an HBO person and you watch uh, John Oliver's Last Week Tonight, <laughs> there's a really fascinating episode where he does a very deep dive into televangelism and does a lot of interesting research on what's behind that. The Word of Faith teaches that the complete healing of spirit, soul, and body is included in Christ's atonement and is therefore available here and now to all who believe. So they, what I would call proof text, scriptures like by his stripes were healed from Isaiah or uh, Jesus says that Jesus healed the sick so that it might be fulfilled what was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, that he himself took our infirmities and bore our sickness. So this idea that like we have been healed already, that Christ did this. And so what the word of faith is saying is that the word that you say is you speak it in faith and it will be true. So Hmm. you speak, I am well, and it will be true. You speak, I am wealthy, and it will be true. And there's like more spinoffs that we can go to and dig a little bit deeper. And that is the act of physically speaking and saying that manifests this or yeah. makes it happen yeah that's a great way to feel more in control you know because if it's not life's not fair and sometimes people do the same amount of work and make more money than other people if it means i just have to say this then that really as you were saying puts me back in control right of my physical health and lots of other things as well right and so you have these televangelists that are are sort of representing this movement and I think I want very desperately to believe that there are people that are part of this word of faith movement that treat it in the reality that we're living in that hold that there's a mental health paradox that you talk about is it the Stockwell paradox the Stockdale paradox is actually not it's not a specific mental health concept but um, to talk about that. OK, I'm not seeing the correlation yet. OK, but, but I will share it and then you'll we'll see if this and fits. then I'll correlate it back. <laughs> so it's um, it's it's named after Admiral Stockdale, who some of the older people may remember when Ross Perot ran for president. Right. Way back when he was this guy was actually his vice presidential candidate and had kind of an unfortunate incident in a debate that made him more of a punchline, but missed a really significant part of of many honorable things he had done in his life. And just he had been a, he was a very decorated military man. And I don't I'm sorry if you know the story better than I do. I'm not giving probably full credit to him. But the main idea is that he, he was a um, prisoner of war in Vietnam and survived that. And his and this kind of this concept of the Stockdale paradox came out of that was that you know when I think it came out of someone asking him like how did you survive because he was there a very long time I don't know how much but but he said you know the guys that didn't make it were the guys who were like by Christmas we'll be home we'll be home by Christmas and then Christmas came and they weren't home we'll be home by Easter we're gonna be out of here by Easter and Easter came and they weren't home and kept kind of having these very specific markers and what helped him was I will be home sometime, but I have to accept the present reality right now. So the Stockdale Paradox is is basically a quote around something like, we can never lose hope that we will prevail in the end 
but we also must accept the present reality that we're living in now. So this idea of living in both of these, like I can have an eternal hope or even a, just a futuristic hope, but that doesn't take away what's happening to me in the present time. And I can't be unrealistic about what's happening to me in the present time. Right. So the concept is I was reading about the Stockdale Paradox and I saw it as a Venn diagram. And I'm very into Venn diagrams right now. (laughs) Um, As a pastor during of a church congregation during COVID, I'm constantly looking at Venn diagrams and like (laughs) where do the things overlap. And so I saw the Stockdale Paradox overlapped with the at this time was in the middle. Like Mm. one circle was we will prevail and things are not great right now. And another circle was, we will prevail. Ah. And the the overlap is at this time. How do you combine that? And so the correlation I make is that I want to believe that there are followers of Jesus out there that confess this word of faith movement that can confess it and hold that reality, hold those two realities Hmm. together. And that there's this overlap of at this time. Because so, I so have people who let me be sure I'm following you. Yeah. So people who can understand kind of the present or the eternal concept of healing, but also accept the current reality of what might be happening in their body or the body of a loved one. And they're not dismissing that and just bypassing that to get to the the the, the eternal hope is still there. So there are people who can sit with both of these. Yes, exactly. And that are not And that's a good thing. Right. Okay. And and because I don't want to write off the whole movement because I think that there are nuggets of truth in this word of faith movement even though I will say to my family it it has caused some trauma. Because, you know, if we think back to when we talked about religious abuse and some of those concepts there, when you speak it and it's not so, that feels like a betrayal. Yes. That feels like a betrayal of God. That feels like a betrayal maybe of yourself and your faith, of your own beliefs, maybe of the religious leader who told you that. Yeah. And that can really, you know, just kind of create this this domino effect of what's real and existential crisis and, and all this stuff. But but so that betrayal can be very real or we can, again, turn it inward where we spoke it. It wasn't so something's wrong with me that I didn't speak it well enough or I didn't say it well enough. No matter if even though I feel like I really, really believed, but I guess I didn't really, really believe. We almost start gaslighting ourselves. Yes. This idea that 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 the word of faith movement seems to put out there that sickness is uh, is is something that the devil's doing to you. Sickness is is the devil working in you, and it's that those those tell like Benny Hinn is the televangelist that comes to mind. Like I'm gonna get the devil out of you. So like if you're in a wheelchair, you roll up onto my stage, and I'm gonna throw my suit coat at you or whatever, and you're gonna stand up. And but even that concept, I feel like there's there's religious harm. There our theme of religious harm and perhaps abuse. And this idea of if you're sick, if you're in a wheelchair, if you have cancer, if you're on blood pressure medicine, you know, any of those things that it's because you did something wrong or because you have the devil in you or because you're bad. Right. And not just because, you know, sometimes we have predisposition to high blood pressure genetically. Exactly. Or that we were in a bad accident that was truly an accident, no one's fault. And right. now, so, so even just that message of... Something's wrong with you because yes. of this. Yes. And the fact that Jesus in the Gospel of John 
corrects that theology right there. When the disciples say, what made this man blind, his sin or his parents' sin? Jesus goes, no, uh, 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 no, no, neither. Neither sinned that our lack of wholeness, our lack of being well has something to do with anything that we have control over that messes with our mental health, it messes with our spiritual health, and that's, to use your dissertation title, that is a twisting of something really sacred. You know, I feel the need after having worked in hospital settings and in cardiac rehab and in cancer centers to say, like, sure, there are things, there are choices we make. Like, I eat too much chocolate, you know, I, that puts me at higher risk for things. Sure. And so, you know, I worked in pulmonary rehab for a long time. Lots of People with lung disease are former smokers or even current smokers. Exactly. And so there are certainly explanations that come from choices we make that we might air quote call bad choices or wrong choices or maybe not even air quotes, just unhealthy choices. Sure. And but still realizing there are lots of people who smoke and never get lung disease. Sure. And so there are things we do that put us at higher risk. But this idea that because someone smoked and got lung disease and someone else smoked and didn't, that the person who didn't get it is a more moral person or closer to God or those kind of things. Yes. That's what we're saying is harmful theology. So we get into this concept of God's grace and God's unmerited favor. And this is where I feel like there is a- abuse that can come out of religious leaders because religious leaders are talking out of both sides of their mouths. Mm. So you have a religious leader that is saying God's grace, God's unmerited favor is for you and for all creation. God loves the world. God's got the whole world in God's hands. There's nothing you can do. Right. Jesus paid it all. Yes. Which I believe and we yes. believe. And- exactly. To take from the Word of Faith movement, like, By his stripes, we are healed at the crucifixion. Jesus took it all on. And so it's all good. And out of the other side of our mouth is this, if you speak it, you will get it. If your faith is enough to believe that if you speak it, you will get it. So Jesus paid it all, but there's a little bit more than that all. So which one is it? Is it that God's grace and God's unmerited favor is for all of us? And there is nothing that we, there is no Thing that we can do to mm-hmm. separate us from God's love and God's goodness and God's grace and, and the wholeness that God provides for us? Or is it you have to speak it? You have to have the faith and the belief to make it so. What I see is a, a nerd alert here. This is a different version of what provoked the Protestant Reformation that Martin Luther said to the Catholic Church You can't say that indulgences are necessary to acquire forgiveness. You know, people were coming to the Catholic Church and asking for forgiveness, and the priest would say, you're forgiven if you say you're 10 Hail Marys and pay this fine. And Martin Luther said, no, forgiveness is not earned. God's grace is unmerited. And the word of faith movement that's saying, if you speak it, you will be well. So if you are not well, then you are not speaking it, and you don't have the faith is a different twisted version of an indulgence of an indulgence of the same thing as though that's your payment as though we have the ability to control that so i have a very personal connection to this and and a story to tell but i also realize that i have been getting a little soapboxy and talking about (laughs) a lot so 
But yeah, the, the, the idea of these religious leaders talking out of both sides of their mouth is personal to me as someone who considers herself a religious leader. And I love grace. I love that there's nothing that I can do. One of my all-time favorite scriptures is in Romans 8, that there is nothing, there is no thing that can ever separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Yeah. And so then when we desire to follow that Jesus and mimic that Jesus and try to be more like that Jesus, it's coming from a desire of what will make our lives better and what is a, is is good for us in the world. It's not a burden. It's not a shame. It's not what we do in order to earn it. It's what we do because we've earned it. Yeah. When I think about this Jesus as a password, the experience in my own life that makes me react so viscerally to Jesus being this password. My partner suffers from epilepsy, lives with a seizure disorder. It started when he was a teenager, before we knew each other. While we were dating, after we had been dating for a while, for reasons that I don't quite understand, he started having some more seizures. A pastor approached me about my partner's seizures and sat me down and had a very serious conversation with me about how to fix them and offered me the um, the prayer and the support and the belief, commended me for the good faith that I had and the good ways in which I was following God's call on my life and and doing all the right things and, and following Jesus the way I was supposed to and encouraged me that should my partner ever have a seizure, again, that I should lay my hands on him and call on the name of Jesus. And I really took that to heart. And interestingly enough, my partner did not have another seizure for multiple years. In fact, we were had been married for multiple years when on Christmas Eve in the middle of the night, he did have a seizure. Um, I had been working for a church where we had five Christmas Eve services and we got home in the middle of the night and he had a really terrible seizure. He fell and he hit his head and I immediately snapped to what this religious leader was saying to me and threw my hands on my partner and started screaming Jesus's name at the top of my lungs. And my partner continued to seize. He had grand mal seizures and he had a head wound from hitting his head. And when the seizure finally stopped, I had to summon strength and adrenaline to help him to the car, to take him to the hospital. And the screaming of Jesus's name didn't do anything. And I remember very clearly sobbing at three o'clock in the morning in the emergency room on Christmas Eve, wondering what had happened. Yeah. And that event provoked a pretty serious crisis of faith for me. Sure. Because I had internalized this idea that if I spoke it, that it would be well. And here is my partner, my best friend and the love of my life having this life-threatening medical event and me screaming Jesus' name didn't seem to do anything. And you doing what you had been told to do right, by someone who loved you both and who was providing spiritual guidance. And in that moment, all I'm just thinking is, you know, it's the middle of the night. You have just watched this really traumatic event of, as you said, the person you love most in the world 
in physical danger. So you're having to deal with that. And on top of that, you're having to deal with that betrayal of, I did what I was supposed to do and you didn't fix it. You know, so that, so either like forget you or did I not do it right? Or exactly. Well, did I not have enough faith? What's wrong with me? Right. And when we, when we worship a God that's constantly making us say what's wrong with me, eventually we don't want to deal with that God anymore. Yes. And the, the idea of my own crisis of faith, of my mental health, of what just happened? Did I, should I have been speaking in tongues? Was that the voice that I was supposed to use to be calling on Jesus' name? Did I not put my hands in the right place? Like, you know, you mentioned gaslighting. Like, what did what just happened really just happened? And am I misremembering it? And, and just this concept of like, did I have any control over it? And, and also why for this human who is so good does he have to experience this? Like, Why does he have seizures? Why does he have why to have seizures? The dark roads that we go down of trying to understand and rationalize, you know, why does my partner have a seizure disorder? Why why does my mom have cancer? Why does why do people I love not have jobs? Why can't, you know, yeah. why can't this system work better? Or, you know, we get back to that whole trying to understand and I think that it's a dangerous road when religious leaders use the power that they have to say, if you say this, you will make it so. Yeah. Or provide a really, try to provide a really easy, quick fix for a really complicated kind of thing. Like, like there's just, I'm getting angry hearing your story. I'm getting <laughs> angry for you. I'm getting angry at that pastor and I'm just imagining you know young Jill in this completely vulnerable time already so worried about this person and being given this answer of this is so scary but I can take care of it this is so easy and then in that moment seeing the most out of control thing that can happen like seeing someone's body being out of control and you thinking, oh, I can do something about this because this person I trusted who knows God so well said that this will work and then it doesn't work. And then that betrayal just multiplies and just washes over you. I don't want to say that there's not a chance for God to do something miraculous. Yes. Like we're not rejecting that God is not capable yeah. of miraculous things and, and that miraculous God could have feelings. stopped that in that moment. And God could have used you being there and saying that to stop that. Right. Yes. Thank you for saying that because I do want to be clear that at least the God that I worship absolutely can snap his finger or do his version of a magic wand right. and make it happen. So we're not saying that's not, that's not possible. And that just doesn't seem to be how God works all that often. Well, and it's this this idea that God is more complicated than we can understand. And that there isn't an easy answer for so much of these things. And just because there's not an easy answer, if, if you have prayed, if you have done all of these things and you are not well, that does not mean that God has abandoned you. Right. That does not mean that... Your faith, you know, your faith and your wellness and the way that we measure them, it doesn't mean that if you have all of the faith that you have all of the wellness. You could have all of the faith and none of the wellness. And that doesn't mean that God doesn't still love you yeah. more abundantly than and you can measure. And it doesn't mean that God's testing you. 
It doesn't yes. mean that this is that this is God saying, "Can you get through this? Can you can you get through this with that faith all the way full?" Right. Um, and if not, then uh, oh well, you didn't pass that test. Um, yes. You know, I don't think cancer is a test of faith. Mm. I think that faith can be a really healing force in that, and yeah. can really help you cope with that both from a loved one's perspective and in the middle of it but that doesn't that's not a test of faith it may test your faith but that's not the purpose behind it I don't believe right it's this rejection of everything else that you have to have control over your faith so you have to have control over what you're able to heal so it's a rejection of bad things happen in the world for circumstances that we can't explain and are a mystery. It's a rejection of science. It's a rejection that God is with you even in the bad times, even even when your partner is convulsing in the midst of a grand mal seizure. God is still there with you yeah, and maybe re- panicking just as much as you are. <laughs> and it's a rejection of God in the science as well. Yeah. You know, I mean, the science came from God, if you believe in God. So sure. So that's yeah, that's there too. Yeah. So all of this leads me to believe in this concept that we've mentioned in passing a couple of times, but that was a big component of your research, your dissertation research. This idea of spiritual bypass. So will you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, that's um, it's an it's an basically I think we may have mentioned it in the mental health episode. I'm not sure if we did or not, but it's basically this idea. And this is something that I teach to my counseling students as well to just watch out for and be aware of in the therapeutic process of it's this idea of operating only on the spiritual level at the total neglect of the cognitive level or the um, emotional level or the traumatic level, you know, all of those things, which I believe the spiritual level is in all those things as well. But it's, it's, it's the idea of just like, I don't need to go to a doctor. I don't need to go to a therapist. I just need to pray harder. And so without engaging in, you know, without doing the work for my trauma, it's just like God's going to take care of that. God will take it away. God could take it away, but God has also allowed you to have tools to work through it and to think how I'm thinking about things and how my emotions are impacted by it and to work through that and learn different types of coping. So it's a, it's a, the term bypass meaning that you're coping is that you kind of try to bypass all the work that might help with your healing and just get to, you know, we see it in griefs a lot of times where people are trying to say like, oh, it was God's will Mm -hmm. and that that's going to explain and take away your grief as opposed to allowing this, this grieving process of the loss and really experiencing that and being okay with the pain, not okay with the pain, but living with the pain for a while, as opposed to just this tamping down of the grief saying, oh, it was just God's will. And that's supposed to magically make everything better as opposed to going through the process. So it's another huge concept. That's a really just quick touchdown on it. But, but yeah, this idea that we don't have to do the work around things. We can just, it's another just kind of waving our wand. Yeah. So another really funny, but I don't know if funny is the right word. When you describe spiritual bypass, I think of a time when my mom was in the ICU. She had a really serious health crisis and was um, under full medical sedation for like a long time. Uh, my sisters and my dad and I were all pretty concerned that that she was going to die. 
And uh, my dad and each of my sisters and I all have different faith communities. <laughs> and so it was like the ICU waiting room was like a revolving door of different religious leaders from different <laughs> religious communities coming. And one particular religious leader, and I genuinely don't remember which one of us he was connected to, came in and sat us down and started talking about sort of letting go of mom and started telling the story of Jesus on Palm Sunday when uh, Jesus told his disciples to go into Jerusalem. They had to get a donkey. They went to the donkey's owner and the donkey's owner said, what's going on? And they said, Jesus has need of you. And then this particular religious person looked at us and said maybe jesus has need of your mom oh Jill. and i remember being like my mom is not a donkey <laughs> like this is not okay oh, but that's like that's okay such a spiritual bypass of like oh jesus needs her we'll just let her go and like yeah. and that it should be that easy for you oh my gosh not okay like, that's like- not okay <laughs> that's so not okay that's an unfortunate way that someone saw a theological concept and twisted it and thought like, oh, this will be helpful. And like, it wasn't. And, you know, I, I just, I hear that and I just keep thinking like those cons, it's, we're not saying those concepts can't be comforting in some way that having this idea of, well, I don't know about the donkey. I don't, I can't think of a way that <laughs> But I'm sure when that metaphor was created, it was probably created with good intention and might, when utilized in the hands of someone who can read the room and understand what's really happening and relate to a person rather than a story that they think is going to be helpful, you know, that might, that maybe could connect with someone and help someone. Sure. And, and, and when someone's grieving, the idea that it was God's will can certainly be comforting. I I don't want to dismiss the comfort that people get from this. I just don't want those to be the only narratives out there that that can be true and you can grieve and, or that it can be true that, you know, you're accepting that it's almost time for your mom to go and you can be sad and you can be hopeful that it's not her time to go all at the same time. Yes. And I just feel like the concept of equating the amount of faith that you can muster to the power you have over healing someone you love, over speaking something into existence, over healing yourself is a dangerous mental health role to go down. Like you are the professional when it comes to this area, but I I wonder about the ways in which like narcissism creeps in there where like you think that you have the power to control all of these things and you have enough so you can speak it so and make it happen. Like maybe that's not the right way to be looking at this from a mental health perspective. But yeah, I mean, I think certainly, well, I'm not supposed to diagnose people that are not my clients. So I'm not, I don't want to do that, but certainly we can look at religious leaders that are televangelists or that tend to be seeking power or that tend to perhaps have other motivations than service and wonder if there might be some traits of narcissism there. Um, And on the everyday level too, like who doesn't want to feel like we're in control? Preach. Who doesn't want to feel like we get to decide what happens in our own lives? Preach, yeah. I mean, underlying almost all anxiety is this feeling out of control. Yeah. And that brings me to a question about 
prayer. I'm going to go there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because that's where, this is a place that I've struggled quite a bit in just overall with this idea of free will and this idea of the point of prayer and how prayer can give us a sense of being in control. And like, does prayer influence God? Does prayer change things? And talking about the the big, the word of faith movement and how that can be twisted, but how so these concepts happen in everyday congregations too. And sure. this is a place where like, you're not praying hard enough or that where I'm coming from to share a personal story of mine is my dad 20 years ago had a heart transplant. And fortunately, he's done amazingly well physically and just celebrated his 20 year heart plant transplant anniversary. And I think back to 20 years ago, transplants looked very different than they sure. do now. And he had to be in the hospital for eight and a half months waiting wow. for his transplant. He was on the list a little while before that, but then had to be in the hospital. And there were many other people in the hospital. We created this little community of people. My mom basically lived in the hospital with him, even though it's four hours away from their home. And my brother and I would go see him every weekend when we could. But you know, over eight and a half months, we got to know the people on this unit really sure. well. And some people got their transplant while they were there and left and did really well. Some people got their transplant and died. You know, So there was this whole mixture of things that happened. And I know, I mean, what my dad heard more than anyone, my dad, my parents have, have always had a great faith community and people who care about him and what we heard over and over again, I'm praying for you, I'm praying for you. I know my dad was so covered in prayer. Sure. And what about the other people on the unit? You know, was my dad, did my dad do well because he was prayed for more than the other people on the unit? And then the day that he got his transplant, like we knew that his healing was going to come in literally someone else's death. And I imagine someone was praying for that donor, you know, as well in that moment or quite possibly. And so we had had made peace with that and just knew that, you know, we weren't causing someone's death, but that this might be a way of healing for my dad. And that, so we'd had a long time to kind of just think about all those existential kinds of things. And I don't know, I just, I of course value my dad's life more than a lot of other lives, but philosophically and theologically, I don't think my dad's life has more value than any, I don't think my life has any more value than anyone else's life. Sure. And so I don't know. Those are just some of the things that yeah. that I'm thinking about. And my dad's an amazing person and very moral man. And that also doesn't mean that someone else didn't deserve a heart transplant just as much as he did. Right. Or that the donor didn't right. deserve to continue to live. Yeah. I personally do not see prayer as like there is not a giant switchboard wherein like the winged angels sitting on clouds are like those old school like putting a headphone jack into God's ear we don't we don't have to say the magic words to get God to listen to us God is God is always present with us and I think there's a lot of ways that we can look at the way that God responds to our prayers and maybe does not answer them in like a God, give me a pony and a pony (laughs) shows up in that sort of genie way as much as God responds and we see the way something works out and see that as a as a means of God response to our prayers. Like I certainly I, I know you and I have had conversations about the ways in which we feel God has spoken to us, the way we in which we feel God has communicated with us, the 
the ways in which the Holy Spirit through prayer, you know, the, the, the ways we feel direction and the way we feel yes. guidance. And- yeah. And I also think that prayer is a beautiful means of connecting us to our siblings in God's family. One of the things that I love about our church family, yours and mine, is that we share prayer requests aloud in our worship service. And that is a show of vulnerability. It's bringing people into your story. It's telling people what's yeah. going it's on. It's asking for help. It is asking for help. And it's and that's asking for help to God, but it's also recognizing that God might answer that prayer in a lot of different ways, including the people around you that are listening. And that's interesting. Just as you say that, I'm thinking how so often in so many churches or small groups or prayer groups that I've been a part of through the year that when you ask for prayer requests, 90% of them are medical problems. So that's really interesting to think about our topic tonight, about how that's often the acceptable thing to ask for prayer for yeah and I really love at our church where that's there of course and that's important and we should know that about each other and it's not unusual to have someone ask for a prayer request for their family member who's struggling with addiction yeah or for someone who's dealing with depression yep or for other places where we struggle you know we where there are other struggles in those medical things that we can pray for each other for yes and that we can talk to God about, but we can also help each other with. And the idea you you asked before about, you know, does prayer change God's mind? And there are these places in scripture where we do see that like God changes God's mind. You know, like Moses changed God's mind. You know, Moses had a conversation with God. And because of what Moses said, scripture leads us to believe that God changed God's mind. And I kind of love that. And, <laughs> and I also feel like we could fall down a crazy rabbit hole of like, (laughs) what does that mean? Uh, And I don't have the answer to what that means. But I like the idea that God hears our prayers. And I I like to use the phrase God holds our prayers, that, that God's interacting with us and holding our prayers. And that there are times when God sees a prayer and sees the ways in which the community will respond to that prayer and that there is some divine intervention. There is the Holy Spirit at work in bringing us together and bringing people into our lives and bringing someone whose dissertation topic was on religious abuse to someone (laughs) who feels like they might have experienced religious abuse at a point in time to to craft something, to craft a community where it's where it's safe to be to to be around these things and that God is present for those who have great faith and for those who have little and for those who are entirely well and whole in body and mind and spirit and in circumstance and those who need healing and wholeness in body or in mind or in spirit or in circumstance like you know if we do the the u-turn or what do we hope happens out of this you know speaking to religious leaders to just allow yourself to to not always have to give an answer mm. or to not always have to give an easy answer yeah. and to not always feel like you just that pat on the head of it's going to be okay yeah. because it's not always going to be okay in the way we're currently defining okay. Right. We don't deny the power of God to do miraculous and wonderful things, but we also can't deny the power and empathy of God to be with people in deep pain and loss and sickness. God can do a healing like Jairus's daughter. 
and I believe still does sometimes. And God can be with you if that doesn't happen. That doesn't mean that you did something wrong. That doesn't mean you're a bad person. That doesn't mean you're not praying hard enough or long enough or consistently enough. Right. Or in the right way. If you are not well in body or in mind or in spirit, dear listeners, it does not have to do with your sin. Hear what Jesus said to his disciples. It was not because of the man's sin that he was blind. It is not because of his parents' sin that he was blind. That's not how that works. If you're not well, God still loves you. And God isn't the being or power that made you unwell. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that our mental health and our physical health and how we're taking care of ourselves and our emotions doesn't impact our physical health. Like, you know, sometimes my back hurts because I'm really tense and because there's stuff happening. Right. But again... Or, and sometimes it happens because I made a bad choice and lifted too much or I haven't exercised or sure. any number of things. Sure. But it also isn't helpful to spend that time shaming yourself. Mm-hmm. I don't believe God has abandoned you because God has not chosen to make you well in the way that my brain is defining well. Yeah, but to, to let yourself go down that spiral of it's something that I could have controlled and I didn't do it right. Yeah, or someone else didn't do it right. My my faith community wasn't praying hard on you know I must not have been important because this other person in my congregation found healing and I didn't. So we talked about deep stuff tonight. We did. We started out going. We're not quite sure where this is going to go. Yeah, but this has been really cool. Yeah, I feel like there's obviously a lot more we could say on this, and there may be other episodes that bounce off of this or that come out of feedback we get from our listeners, our fellow travelers if that's what we decide to call you on this. And I feel like some of this is going to come up again next week when we really spend some time talking about COVID. The thing that linked all of these things together, COVID and your faith has made you well, was I think for me this concept of spiritual bypass. And so Mm. as we look towards the next episode, um, maybe we'll throw a more detailed definition of spiritual bypass up on our website. Um, yes. To, as Maybe a, even a link to a whole article by one of my mentors because yeah. there's, for those of you who really want to get into it. For um, sure. Yeah. Because I think when I think about COVID and the pandemic, I think of this phrase that's become really trendy recently, faith over fear. So that's, I, listeners and fellow travelers, that's the direction we're heading in next week. That's your teaser. We're going to talk about that concept. We'd also, if you have thoughts on that, shoot us our way so we can think about them as we prepare. Yeah. Um, Like we've said before, we hope that these perspectives and these stories and this conversation that we're sharing is helpful to you. We really like you. We're really honored and excited that you're on this journey with us. We'd love to interact with you. We'd love for your feedback to find its way to us. And there's lots of ways that that can happen, right? Yes, that can happen by finding Sacred Intersections podcast on Facebook and Instagram, Sacred Pod on Twitter. Um, We have an awesome website. You can find our episodes there. You can find frequently asked questions there. You can find merch there. You can find all kinds of fun stuff there. And special thanks to Andrew, our production specialist, editor, awesome, extraordinaire podcast helper. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks, Andrew. We love you. So if you like us, please share the word. If you think people would be interested in these things that we're talking about and you want to discuss them further, pass us along, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. 
So yeah, and let us know what you would like to hear more of in the coming weeks. Absolutely. And safe travels on all your sacred intersections through the week.